from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. <coughs> this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. The word of God is certain, and we will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Would you pray with me, please? <coughs> Father, thank you again for your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, this is a time when uh, we gather around your word um, specifically to hear from you. We believe that you are the God that spoke the worlds into existence and you still speak in our day. And so, Lord, we would say, uh, along with Samuel, those many, many years ago, uh, Lord, your servant is listening, speak. Help us, Lord, to know what your word says. Help us beyond that to know what it means. Help us, Lord, also to determine to put it into practice in our lives so that we might honor you, so that we might make a difference in a good way in our world. And as for me, Lord, I ask once again that you would allow me to disappear behind the cross of Jesus Christ that he and he alone would be exalted in our midst. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Got a little tickle in my throat. Um, you might hand me that bottle of water right there. See, I put you to work already, didn't I? <laughs> Thank you. I try never to do that. I don't want it to become a habit, but I got to get through this. So, uh, You know, when my, when my children uh, were little... Uh, we lived in the Midwest, and at Christmas time, lots of packages came from grandparents and others, and the kids were always so excited. Uh, they wanted to know what was in all those boxes, and we told them they were Christmas gifts for us from people who loved us, and they wanted to know if there were any gifts for them, and there were, of course, and that made them even more excited, and they couldn't wait to open those gifts. They even suggested that we might consider opening some of them right then, even though Christmas was still days away. Now, we declined, of course, and they had to wait, and, and I warned them. I told them that though we're going to put those gifts away in a safe place, they could probably find them if they looked. And they might even be able to see what was inside of the packages and kind of put it back together so that we'd never know that they looked. 
but they wouldn't be able to play with those things then, and they would end up ruining the surprise on Christmas morning. Now, two of them, anyway, later admitted to doing that very thing, but they only did it once. They discovered that old dad knew what he was talking about, and they didn't ever want to spoil that surprise again. Now, we can understand their excitement, though, can't we? We, we remember that curiosity. We, we've been there. We may not get that excited or be that curious anymore, but we remember it. Uh, most gifts we receive now that we're older, they don't have the same effect on us as when we were young. We're grateful, but it's different, and, and that's really okay. However, there are gifts, uh, some gifts, that ought to bring back some of that old excitement and curiosity, and yet, well, for many, they don't. And I'm talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and also uh, known as spiritual gifts. Every person, man, woman, or child, who puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is given certain spiritual gifts, at least one anyway, and for many more than one. And and these gifts are are not our natural abilities or talents which we were born with. Those talents and abilities uh, can be used in conjunction with spiritual gifts. For example, a man who has a gift with words can use them if he's called for a, uh, to be a pastor. He can use those gift of words in his preaching. Or, or someone who can sing, like I wish I could. But someone who can sing, they may have the gift of encouragement and they use their voice to minister to others. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit at our second birth, not our natural one. And any gift from God, you would think, ought to get our attention, but it doesn't. Not for everyone. And there are two reasons for that. Um, First, there's some confusion on who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is. I mean, some groups of Christians know he exists, uh, and they have pretty much the right doctrines concerning him, but they essentially ignore him. They live almost as if he doesn't even exist. Now, fortunately, he is gracious and he ministers in their lives even though they fail to honor him. They'd be much better off if they got to know him. He is a person as real as Jesus Christ, and it is God's will that we live the Christian life in his power. That's really the only way we can live it. And then there are others who are all about the Spirit, or so it seems, almost to the exclusion of the Father and the Son. And the thing which endangers that group of people is they want the gifts of the Spirit, but they too tend to ignore a relationship with Him. They tend to think that they can get a hold of the Spirit and use Him to accomplish their purposes when the reality is If we let him, the Holy Spirit will get a hold of us and use us to accomplish his purposes. And then secondly, there's some confusion on on what the gifts are and and a worry that we don't know what our gift is. Or we think we should have some certain gift and we don't. And so because of this confusion, we tend either to avoid this whole subject or become obsessed with it. 
Now, why Bible church is not at either end of those extremes, but on a spectrum, we're closer to those who ignore the Spirit than those who are obsessed by Him or with Him. Now, we're going to talk this morning about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And after last week's message, I think it's especially appropriate that we do so. There are some 24 different spiritual gifts enumerated in four different lists in the Bible. And none of those lists, although they were sent to different churches, are identical. And yet there's some overlap in some of the lists. And then there's at least one gift that's not in any of those lists, but appears all by itself in a different place in the New Testament. So because of those things, most theologians don't think the lists are exhaustive. They believe there are spiritual gifts, uh, gifts given by the Holy Spirit at the new birth, which aren't on any of the lists. And I agree. (laughs) My experience as a pastor confirms that understanding of the Scriptures. Now, having said that, I I don't want to get off into the weeds here, but I know you, and I know some of you, what you probably are thinking right now. And yes, it's possible that some of the gifts listed might be a kind of a catch-all or serve as a kind of a heading so that whatever gift someone might have could fit under one of those headings, right? But then it becomes a, a matter of definition, and though you and I, individually might enjoy talking over the matter. I don't want to take the time here and now to do it. Now, we could start our conversation by talking about the different gifts, but I have no sense, at least at this time, that the Lord is leading us to do exactly that. We may do it later, we may not. I, I wasn't planning on this message when I first proposed to do a series on the church. And yet I believe I was led here and that it was part of God's plan all along. (laughs) Today, instead of talking about the individual gifts, we're going to approach our topic from a different direction. There are some things that we ought to know, we ought to understand about these gifts that that are more basic than the individual gifts themselves. And these things, I think, will help us as we try to discover just what our own gifts might be, and they'll help us to be cautious about some things we might see in the larger Christian context. I have to warn you right here. This is no game. Don't put yourself in a dangerous position of thinking that you are the judge. Do not go beyond what you're certain of in the Word of God. No matter what you might have been taught in the past... If you cannot yourself from the Bible demonstrate beyond reasonable doubt that what you think is true, well, you can talk about it with others, but you cannot make a judgment about it. That is the way of wisdom on your part in those situations. Judgment belongs to God. And having said that, I have to say there are evil spirits out there which will lead you astray if they can. And they can do that in any number of ways. Again, this is not a game. This is a spiritual war that was raging all around us, and we are right in the middle of it. Now, that was an awfully long introduction, wasn't it? (laughs) But I think it was necessary to set the stage for what we're going to talk about. 
And so now that we have that to stand on, I want to invite you to join me, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We were there last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at various verses there. And of course, uh, the guys up in the cave will have a text on either side, in the screen on either side of me. They're going to say about six things, uh, but six points we'll make this morning as we talk about this. And we're going to begin <coughs> where the Apostle Paul did when he wrote to the Corinthian church, which he had founded a number of years pr- uh, prior to this letter. Uh, we can be very brief here, I think. Paul wanted the Corinthians to, uh, to have a good working knowledge about spiritual gifts. And so we see that in verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Corinthian church, you'll know that they had all sorts of ideas about the spiritual gifts, but they were really not very well informed. You and I, like all believers... We need to know about these things, but we need to be clear on what we know. And what we know must stand on the foundation of the Bible. So you may not know much about guns, but if you were to bring one into your home for protection, you'd better learn about them. You know, it's not enough to know that you have a gun in the home if you need it. You have to know how to use it safely. Now, the guess of the Spirit... They're not like guns, of course. They're not destructive, and and they shouldn't scare us. But they are important. And we must be as responsible with those gifts as the owner of a gun should be responsible. We are believers. We have been given spiritual gifts, each one of us. And we need to know about them for a number of reasons which I think we'll see as we go forward this morning. Now, after telling us that, that we ought to be informed about spiritual gifts, our text seems as though it kind of jumps off the rails right here, as though the Apostle Paul had kind of lost his thread of his thoughts. But both verses 2 and 3 are right where they belong. The one, verse 2, serves as a kind of warning, and the other one, as an affirmation or an endorsement. So first, the warning. Not everything that looks like it comes from heaven. Now, we ought to understand that because in the past, before we were Christians, we were led astray when it came to spiritual things. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And although it is true that even Christians can be led astray and even ensnared by the evil, when the biblical evidence for that is undeniable, that's not the point here. The context is spiritual gifts. And the warning is that not everything you might see comes from heaven. Now that shouldn't surprise us. In the previous chapter of this book, Paul warns that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And Jesus tells us there are ravenous wolves who dress up in sheep's clothing. And a day is coming when the forces of evil will be able to perform miracles and even call fire down from heaven. This isn't a call for wholesale condemnation of things we don't understand, but a warning 
that we need to be discerning and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And we need to compare everything to the Word of God. Not everything that pretends to be really is from heaven. And in light of that, verse 3 makes a great deal of sense. And if I may, I'd summarize it this way. (coughs) Just as the Holy Spirit always honors Jesus, so his gifts, those who exercise him, will honor him. Verse 3, therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by that same Spirit. The Spirit and the things of the Spirit honor our Savior. Now, this isn't a simplistic formula. Uh, It's not something you can just merely ask someone to say the words, Jesus is Lord, and determine that they're believers. And Unbelievers don't usually go around saying, Jesus, be cursed. Things aren't quite that easy. We are, after all, in the midst of a spiritual war. The Bible teaches that the words we speak, especially when we're not paying attention to them, come out of our heart, and they tell us the kinds of things that are in our heart. And our words are validated by our actions, by our lifestyle. And people are clever, and they may fool you for a time, but eventually what's in their heart will come out. And from this we can say, that any gift and any person exercising that gift who genuinely honors Jesus Christ, especially when we see that quality over time, well, it has a lot to recommend them to us. But when someone exalts themselves or some other human, or they exalt their gifts or ministry or or they spend their time pointing people to things, things of this world, or even things that may be good such as health and and even wealth, when their message is about their gifts, about their lives, when they're pointing, not pointing people to Jesus, when they in fact ignore him or even eclipse him by the things that they say and do, you ought to be suspicious. You ought to be very suspicious. And yet even then, I've got to tell you, be cautious. Jesus tells us we're to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now look, <laughs> having said that, if people's theology is bad, if they preach a different Jesus or a different gospel, if they base their teaching on anything other than the Word of God, then we know and we clearly know where they stand. But judging a gift or a person exercising that gift requires much more caution. I hope I haven't left any behind. We're believers. Each of us has certain gifts of the Spirit. And when, when it comes to these things, we need to be an informed people. Not everything that pretends to be really is from heaven. The Spirit and the things of the Spirit always honor Jesus Christ. And and it's that last truth, the honoring of Jesus, which helps us see why all of the various gifts display a certain unity. (laughs) Verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same 
explored. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. You see, the gifts of the Spirit, when exercised by believers in a God-honoring kind of way, display a kind of unity. Now, Christians rightly see the Trinity on display in this text, but we also see something else. The text also tells us this. There are different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of works, all coming from God, all unified to accomplish his purpose. And notice, too, there's a progression in this verse. There are not only gifts, but there's parallel uh, passages, amplifies or increases our understanding of gifts. They're for service. And they, they are workings of God through us, gifts for service to accomplish God's work. You know, the gifts may vary in many ways. Some, some are more spectacular Others are kind of mundane. Some of them seem mysterious to us, but they all are somehow alike. Maybe we could call it like a family resemblance. If you ever happen to go to a, a family reunion and it's not your own family, you're often struck by, um, by the similarities, you see. I mean, everyone is different, of course, but, but there's some sameness about them. Even the spouses, I think, start to take on or to blend in to those people. Maybe in some cases it's the eyes or the mouth or a manner of speech. In the case of the spouses, it's their mannerisms and actions. But whatever it is, you know that they're a family. Now, of course, the same thing would be true of your family reunions. It's just that you don't notice it because you've been around it all your life. Spiritual gifts have a kind of family resemblance, a kind of unity, because they come from the same spirit. And again, another word of caution here. These gifts are given to people, which mean our fallenness sometimes may distort them. As believers, we're gifted by the Holy Spirit. We need to be informed. Not everything pretends to be released from heaven. The Spirit and the things of the Spirit always honor Jesus. And the gifts of the Spirit display a kind of unity. Now, we're going to move on. And, um, and we've already made a note of this. But in order to drive home the idea, Paul tells us the gifts are given for the good of the church. Verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives each of God's children the gift or gifts which he has determined that they should have for the good of the body. Now, look, <coughs> my daughter and, and her fiancé, that's hard to say. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it is not. We are glad about that. They're in the Naval Academy, you know, and, and the uh, young men and women who attend the Naval Academy are given their first two years to help them decide if that life is, is for them. But in that third year, they have to sign on for real. And at that point, their life is not their own. They've already selected their major, and they're working towards it. And if all goes well, they'll get that degree in that major. But their life isn't their own, and they can be needs drafted. <coughs> Command can determine 
They need people in a certain position, and they can put you in that position no matter what your major is. <coughs> You'll still get your degree, but they may send you for further schooling. They may make you a nuclear engineer instead of a pilot. The Navy does that, not to be contrary, but for the good of the service. All the schooling... Everything they teach the midshipmen, their education, the physical training, the leadership instruction, all of it is for the good of the service and ultimately good, the good for the good of our nation. The gifts and the Spirit are like that. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And the gifts aren't, you know, aren't your playthings. They're not toys given to entertain you. They're not to be meant to use in ways in which you exalt yourself. They are given to you for service, to exalt our king, and for the sake of your brothers and sisters. And that same beauty and honor that we ought to see when it comes to the armed forces of the United States, their, their commitment to our nation, our brother, sisterhood, the sacrifice freely given, well, that's the kind of thing and more which we should see in the church. The gifts are given for the good of the church. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy them yourselves. A pilot enjoys flying. <coughs> Excuse me. They are spiritual gifts, after all. Chosen specifically for you, for the way that God made you. And when you exercise those gifts, you, you'll have a sense of just why you were made. There's work and there's effort uh, which we have to expend to exercise those gifts. We, we may exhaust ourselves in their use, but it's a good kind of tiredness which comes from having a good, done a good day's work and it lets you sleep well. The gifts are given for the good of the church. We know that not everything that pretends to be really is from heaven. The Spirit, the things of the Spirit always honor Jesus Christ. And the gifts of the Spirit display a family resemblance. And again, they are given for the good of the church. Now verses 8 through 10, which we're not going to look at, form one of the four lists of gifts which we find in the Bible. We're not going to spend any time there today. You can read them on your own. The next point that we're going to mention, we have already seen and stated, but verse 11 reminds us and drives that point home. The gifts are distributed according to the Holy Spirit's plan. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them just as he determines. Every one of them just as he determines. God gives you your gift and when you seek to serve him and serve the church, you begin to discover those things, which, he, which gives you a sense of accomplishment, uh, the things that you know that you can do, and even if there's effort on your part, you know you can do them well. God gives you your gifts. And, and that's something important for you to know. We won't spend any more time on that. We've made the point, I think, pretty well. The next thing we added... Uh, uh, we're going to look at, uh, adds one piece of information, which is important. We're going to be very brief here also, but the point is simple enough. 
There are other things going on in these verses that we're going to look at, but we're interested in only one particular thing for our study this morning, and that is no one is given, uh, no gift of the Spirit is given to all people. And we're going to jump all the way down to verse 28, which gives us the context, while verse 29 makes the point we're interested in. <clears throat> and God is placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. All of these things are spiritual gifts. But then Paul says this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the answer, of course, is no. There is no one gift of the Holy Spirit given to all creatures. There are people who will tell you otherwise. Some will tell you if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit all at all, and you may not even be a Christian. And there are others who are uh, not so drastic, but they still think that everyone should speak in tongues. And they're quite clever in their explanations, and they are very sincere, and many of them are absolutely wonderful Christians who really love Jesus, but who I believe are mistaken in this point. I'm not making a statement on whether tongues exist or not. I'm making a statement on whether everyone does speak in tongues. In their circles, that's what they're told. And everyone does speak in tongues, either because they legitimately have that gift, or because of human persuasion, which makes them think they must, and so they do. This is the same issue that you will find if you look closely at this letter to the Corinthians. But the text makes clear there is no one spiritual gift given to every believer. Now, I need to say something here, I, I think. Um, uh, some of you may be struggling with this. Uh, I, I struggled with this for a, a long time in my own personal life. Some of you may be struggling with this. You may be wondering if you're supposed to have this gift, or you may wonder if you don't have it, bec- or, uh, or if you even have some other gift. Uh, you might wonder if there's something wrong with you. Well, if you feel that way, if that describes you in any way, let, let me tell you, something that I hope can set your mind at ease. It certainly helped me. You can, you can write this down and, and look at it a little bit later, but I'm going to get it up here on the, on the screen on either side of me. The passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it's, it's, as I said, been a great help to me. This is what it says. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, God is good. And you can trust God to give you his Holy Spirit, and you can trust him to give you his gifts, the ones that he wants you to have. Ask him. Trust him. He's God Almighty. He loves you. And he will give you what you need. God gives you your gifts. There's no one gift of the Holy Spirit given to all Christians, but the the gifts which are given are given for the good of the church. And they come from the living God. The last thing we're going to look at this morning um, is really the most important thing we can say about spiritual gifts. 
I mean, we ought to desire those gifts. They're a desirable thing, and they're good for the church. But, but love is more important than all of them. So I want you to look at the last verse of this chapter, number 31, and then we're going to look at just the first verse of the next chapter. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then in most of chapter 13, Paul talks about the importance of love, of which verse 1 is our example this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Acting in love is more important than our spiritual gifts. Now we know this. This makes sense. Jesus said that to love God with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength is the most important commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on those two commandments. Everything hangs on love. And if you exercise your spiritual gift without love, you don't do yourself any good. That's what the text says. And, and you be nothing at that point but a loud noise and an irritating one at that. And if you don't have love, you aren't serving the church either. Again, you can take it from the text. Don't be nothing more than a, a pop that passes, or worse, a flash that scorches. Gift without love is it's like a cannon loose on the deck of a ship. It rolls every which way the sea surges, often injuring others and causing havoc. If it goes off and it's rolling here and there, it is only by providence that it should hit the right mark instead of inflicting harm on the ship. Love restrains our gifts which we might misuse. We're sinners, you know that. Love is a thing which aims our gift, which points them in the right direction and allows the Holy Spirit to use us to accomplish his purposes. It is not all about us. But if you don't even know what your gift is, but you love, if you make up your mind to love, and you love God, and you love your neighbor, you make up your mind to serve God in your church, your life will matter. You will do things that help others, which serve the church, which advance God's kingdom in the world, which will declare to all the world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't get lost in the gifts. Lose yourself. Give yourself. Surrender yourself to the love of God. And everything else will follow. Everything will come into focus. Things will be in their place. There will be a readiness to serve when the call comes. Not everything that pretends to be is from heaven. The Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit always honor Jesus Christ. There are many different ones, but there's a unity, a family resemblance in the gifts of the Spirit which are given for service so God can work through us. The gifts are given for the good of the church, 
Every gift is given by the Holy Spirit according to his plan and purpose. There is no one gift of the Spirit given to everyone. And finally, though we ought to desire these things, love is more important than all of them. And it is necessary if we are to use our gifts to the glory of God. And now, you know Now, you're responsible. Now, you can begin to do more good than you have ever done before by allowing the Holy Spirit to come alongside of you and use you in ways you have not yet imagined. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, I know we covered a lot of information uh, this morning. And, um, and, I, and I really thank you for um, your, your um, speaking to us through your word. I thank you for the truths that are here in your word. Uh, Lord, we want to embrace them. We want to understand. And we we want to walk with you through this whole thing. And I pray... Um, for anyone that's here today and they're struggling in this area or maybe they're unsure of something. Maybe someone's even upset with me because of something I've said today in the course of our conversation. Well, that's okay because you're bigger than all of that. It's my prayer, though, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would continue to speak to our hearts. And that you would unite all of us here together in a love for you and for one another. And Lord, I just pray, someone here today that doesn't know you, who, who hasn't yet put their faith in you, Lord, I pray for that person. I pray that you would speak to them in those quiet places in their heart. And you would draw them to yourself that they would come talk to me, talk to someone else they know who knows you. <coughs> and they'd find forgiveness and complete acceptance with the God of the universe. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Um, once a month, typically... <laughs> We take some time and we observe the Lord's